Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. John 1:35 through 51. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus answered, Rabbi, Nathanael replied, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus responded to him, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, Truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Well, good morning, Candeo. Like Jake said, my name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And I want to start off this morning a little bit lighthearted. So if you came in a little tight and tense, let's just relax a bit and loosen up. Uh, I want to start off this morning talking about um, Disney movies. So we all have our favorite Disney movie. If you say, I don't have a favorite Disney movie, you are what we are what we call a liar, um, because everyone has a favorite Disney movie. And mine is unashamedly Aladdin, just just growing up as a kid. That was my movie that I'd watch. And Robin Williams, it's like the best animated like performance ever. I think he did a lot of his lines impromptu as the genie, right? So, and then as you guys, a lot of you know, they came out with a new live action Aladdin, where they brought in one of my favorite actors, Will Smith, and gave kind of hip-hop flair. And I loved it. Some critics hated it, but whatever. I thought it was great. So the basic premise of Aladdin is this. You've got this nobody named Aladdin who meets this somebody, the genie, and everything changes about his life. He becomes Prince Ali. He defeats Jafar. He saves the princess. Um, which, if any of that is a spoiler for you, I'm not going to apologize this morning. It's 2020. You should have seen Aladdin by now. So, uh, that, but that's, that's the story, right? You got a nobody who meets somebody, changes everything. 
So I want to ask this morning, what happens when somebody meets Jesus? What happens? Well, what we're going to see this morning is uh, some of the first disciples of Jesus encountering Jesus for the first time and then their response to meeting Jesus. So this isn't a fairy tale Disneyland. This is historical narrative. What we're diving into this morning actually happened. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and start turning to John chapter 1. Last week, uh, we talked a lot about John the Baptist and his ministry um, of elevating Jesus. Uh, And this morning, we are going to continue right along uh, with John the Baptist into some of his disciples who encountered Jesus. So verse uh, 35, chapter 1, let's dive in. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, similar to what he said back in verse 29. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. Right, so verse 35, the next day, it's a continuation of this narrative. And John again proclaims, here's the Lamb of God. Verse 29, he says, who takes away the sins of the world. And as we see here, I'm not going to park too long on John the Baptist because we talked a lot about him last week. But this continues to be true of John's life. Stop following me, start following Jesus. Everything is about that guy right there. Jesus, follow him. And then what happens? Two of his disciples follow him. Now, these two disciples, we learn in verse 40, one of them is Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and the other one is unknown. Most commentators would say likely the author, John. Uh, But let's keep reading what happens with these two disciples. Verse 38, when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. So unique interaction. Jesus says, what are you looking for? I think the the heart of that question is what's on your heart? What's on your mind? And they, they respond in a kind of an interesting way. They say, where are you staying? I think they were intrigued by Jesus. They wanted to learn more about this guy, kind of hang out with them a bit. And he says, come and you'll see. So they follow him and spend the day with him. So I want to stop here actually. And, and I just want to talk about Andrew. We hear a lot about Peter. We'll hear about him more in the book of John. But Andrew, we don't know a ton about. We know that he's Simon Peter's brother, that he was from Bethsaida that he lived with Peter in Capernaum later in life and was also a fisherman. I think it's interesting, just a side note, that Andrew actually encountered Jesus before Peter did. But what Andrew did is he followed Jesus. Now, when, when it says he followed him, I think you got to understand as we walk through John that there's also oftentimes like a, a deeper meaning or some kind of like double meaning to some of these things. And what I mean by that is, yes, Andrew followed him to wherever he was staying. But yes, also, Andrew followed him the rest of his life. And also when Jesus says, come and you'll see, that's an invitation not only to like hang out with him, but to follow him for the rest of their life. So this was really the first steps of discipleship for Andrew and this other disciple, likely John. Andrew, if you, if you know this, became one of the 12 disciples and followed Jesus the rest of his life. So I want to ask the question, why? Why would Andrew follow Jesus not only to where he was staying, but the rest of his life? 
And maybe the bigger question and and the more personal question is why should we follow Jesus today? Why? I think you need to realize, if you haven't already, following Jesus is getting less and less popular. It is going against the grain of everything our world has to offer. It's not the easiest path. You're, you're probably, if you follow Jesus, probably going to be questioned about what you do, potentially mocked for what you do. So why? The onlooking world will look at followers of Jesus, genuine followers of Jesus, and go, isn't that a little extreme? Like, isn't that just a little bit crazy? And I think sometimes I forget, when you genuinely follow Jesus, it will look radical to the outside world. So why? Why should we follow Jesus? To answer that question, I think we need to go back to verse 29. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What does that mean? Well, what it means is in the Bible, Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve commit the first sin in the garden. And that sin permeates and becomes the sin nature for us as humans. We are sinners who sin. It's just what we do. It's who we are. And that's a huge problem because we got a holy God and what we deserve for our sin is eternity underneath his wrath. That's, that's a big problem when we're born into this world. But the good news is that God sent his only son, lived and walked on this earth, lived the perfect life and then went as a living sacrifice to the cross. And as we look at our bloody savior, at the lamb of God hanging on the cross with love in his eyes, he takes away our sin and then gives us the invitation to come, to be a part of a royal family we never deserve to be a part of. He says, come. We are desperate. We are sinners. We needed somebody to take away our sins. We needed a savior. We needed a sacrifice. We needed the lamb of God. And Jesus came for sinners like you and me. Now, what I want to say is, to me, if you understand that, to me, the only logical conclusion would be, follow that savior, the one who saved me. People, I think, will say, you are crazy for following Jesus. But I would say, if you understand the gospel, it would be crazy not to follow Jesus. But I want to talk about following Jesus here a bit, because I think, um, I think like the definition of following Jesus has, has been maybe uh, screw, um, skewed a bit in our culture, right? And even just within religious circles. I think when we think of religion, we can sometimes think of like a multiple choice. It's like, here are all the religions in front of you. Which one do you want to bubble in? And, and maybe a good chunk of people will say, well, I guess Christianity, like put me down for that one. And maybe it'll save me. On the day that I die, I'll be safe and good and go to heaven. But I think that goes back to verse 38. When Jesus looks at us and he looks at Andrew and, and likely John and says, what are you looking for? What are you wanting out of Jesus? Is it a co- comfortable life? your basis to be covered, the get out of hell free card. Let me tell you, uh, hear this this morning. Christianity is not a box you check or a circle you bubble in. It is a person you surrender your life to and follow forever. That is Christianity. And this Christianity thing is not like a halfway in, halfway out. It is all or nothing. My whole life is on the table for Jesus. You should find it odd if you ask somebody, hey, are you a Christian? And their answer is kind of. 
me explain that. If you come to me after the service and say, hey, Jordan, are you married? And I say, kind of. That would be both confusing and concerning on multiple levels, right? Like, I don't know if you can say kind of. That seems like a yes or no answer. You're either married or you're not. I'm either married to Casey, which I am, or I am not. And if I am married, that has huge implications on my life. The same is true of Jesus. This is a yes or no question. Do you follow Jesus or not? All in. Are you in or not? Like it's an important question for us to answer. Because I think for a lot of people, they will say, yes, Jesus, I love Jesus. But then they'll say, with their lives, really, as long as it fits my agenda. Like I'm all in for Jesus as long as like he works within my plan. And I wanna say, if that's how you're living your life, if that's how you see people living their lives, that's a huge problem. You're missing the point. Jesus wants us to follow his agenda, his plan, not ours. Jesus wants to be king, not just of your Sunday morning, but of your entire life. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's like you take a a piece of paper and a pen and you write down, your agenda for your life, all your plans, everything you got. And then you take that piece of paper and you set it on fire and you run to Jesus and say, whatever it is, I'm in. That's what following Jesus looks like. Are you in? Are you all in saying, yes, Jesus, my yes is on the table. Andrew's yes was on the table, not only following to where they were gonna go hang out, but the rest of of his life, he was saying, I'm in. But we're not done with Andrew yet. So if we go back to John 1, we actually learn a little bit more about Andrew. This is interesting. Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So Andrew embraces that Jesus is the Messiah and then he goes and tells his brother Peter. And then Simon, Simon Peter, goes and has an interaction with Jesus and Jesus essentially just says, you are now named Cephas, which Jesus is God. He can do that. He's got that authority. It's pretty like short and abrupt and to the point and that's all we get. But I'm actually, again, I'm not gonna camp out on Peter this morning. I wanna go back to Andrew. What did he do? Just like simple observation in your Bible. What did What did Andrew do? He confessed that Jesus is the Messiah and then he went and told somebody about it, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. So another example, as we continue this narrative of Jesus calling somebody saying, follow me. And that's exactly what they do. So Philip follows Jesus, verse 44. Now Philip was also from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Philip. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. So what happens here? Philip, in his excitement, goes and tells Nathanael, I found the Messiah. 
Now, Nathaniel, if you look into like commentators, they'll, they'll typically agree that Nathaniel is also Bartholomew, uh, which is one of the 12 disciples. So he goes to Nathaniel and he says, everything that was written in the Old Testament, it's being fulfilled by this guy who just jumped onto the scene. I met him, his name's Jesus. You need to meet him. So that's his response. Verse 46, what does Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked him, come and see. Philip answered. What's Nathaniel's response? He's, he's skeptical. Nazareth, small town, insignificant, 2,000 people, agriculture town. He's like, can anything good come from that place? And how does Philip respond to Nathaniel's skepticism? I think this is beautiful. This is a sweet observation. He says, come and see. He doesn't sit and argue with him or, or even like lay out these like long defensive faith and apologetic type things. He just says, come, you meet him and see what you think. So what happened in both these stories? We got Andrew and we got Philip. They both encounter Jesus. They get excited about the Messiah they found and they go and tell somebody. They tell Peter, they tell Nathaniel. As Jake said in our teacher's meeting, those who have been found by Jesus help other people find Jesus. It's just what's true. And, and it is true for us. When, when we get excited about something, we naturally share it with other people, not out of duty, but it's like, man, I'm finding joy in this or I've been impacted by this. We naturally do this. So what's the application for our lives? Well, I think it's pretty simple. Go and tell other people about Jesus. Uh, and there's a million different ways that that could play out. Um, I just want to stop and, and say, for me, what's been on my heart recently is actually neighbors. And not in the sense of like, love your neighbor as yourself, like general, like neighbors, but I mean, the people that literally live right next to you. I think there's a reality potentially in, in Christian culture where, where people or college students will get excited about like going to the nations and sharing the gospel or going to the inner cities and doing the work of the gospel, telling people about Jesus. And I would say, yes, absolutely. Absolutely do those things. I think there, there, there will be a miss though and a problem if those same people with those same ambitions don't know the names of the neighbors that are living right next to them right now. As J.D. Payne would say it, some people are making great sacrifices to get across the world to do missions, but won't walk across the street. So this has been humbling for me recently, just to be like honest and candid with you guys. So we, we did a kind of an exercise with our Connection Group leaders where we had a tic-tac-toe map with like your house in the middle or any one of our elders gave this tool to us. And then he, he charged us like, hey, try and go from like stranger to acquaintance to friend, right? And so uh, what you should do is just like fill out this map and, and, and try to see like, how, do you, how well do you know your neighbors right now? And in Casey, I knew a good chunk of our neighbors, but there was one box that just had this like huge question mark on it. It was really humbling because we've lived in that house for a year and a half and I have yet to walk over to that guy's house and just introduce myself. There's like that, there's a weird window when you move into that, in your house where it's like, oh, you're new here or whatever. But when you get through like four different seasons, you're, you're like past that point. So I was past that point um, and it humbled me. And so the other day I was working out and, and I was running back and he was out working on his garage. So I'm like, I just need to meet this guy. I finally met him. Uh, great guy. His name was Al and he's lived in that neighborhood for 25 years and I can't wait to get to know him better. Uh, but, but that's the question this morning I want to throw your way. Are you being intentional in your neighborhood? 
And I know a lot of you guys right now are college students and you say, well, I don't have a house uh, and the blessing of a mortgage payment or whatever, right? But you live in a, likely an apartment or a dorm and you have people living to the left or to the right of you. And I would say, are you being intentional with the people that live literally right next to you? Andrew and Philip did something really powerful here. They shared their testimony with somebody they knew. And by that, I mean, they literally just said, hey, I met this Jesus guy. He's changing my life in the best of ways. You should come and meet him. They didn't have all the answers. We don't have to have all the answers. I'm just charging us to go and invite people to meet Jesus. Could you imagine if we did this in our neighborhoods? That all of a sudden your neighbors have a a night free to hang out and they're they're coming asking you, hey, do you want to hang out? We got a free night. Or when your neighbors start having some spiritual questions, they start coming to your door asking for help. Or when something bad happens and COVID hits, they come to you looking for help because they know you love Jesus. Christian, we, we gotta get to know our neighbors. We gotta build relationships. We gotta tell them about Jesus. Andrew told Peter, Philip told Nathaniel. And then what's beautiful is that Nathaniel as we close out this passage, has his own encounter with Jesus. Check this out. Verse 47. So Philip says, come and see, come and meet this Jesus. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. So Jesus uh, approaches Nathaniel, and as they're coming, he, he drops the statement, man, here, here's someone from Israel in which there's no deceit. And whatever he said had a huge impact on Nathaniel. He goes, how do you know me? Like internally, how do you know me? And then Jesus goes, oh, I know way more than that about you. And, and puts kind of like his omniscience, the fact that he is all-knowing as God on display. And he says, before Philip called you, I saw you under that fig tree. Now, let's just be, be real for a second. That would be an odd experience if you were Nathaniel. If, like if you came into church this morning and after service, somebody came, came up to you that you had never met in your life and they, they said something like, hey, I know you. And I know what you did this morning. At 7 a.m., you were at your kitchen counter eating Captain Crunch. Not regular peanut butter, but it was Captain Crunch. If that happened to you, that would mess with you a little bit. Like if all of that was true, uh, not the, like, we all know that peanut butter is better than regular. That part's true. But like the, the rest of the things, if that were true, that would mess with you a little bit. And this messed with Nathaniel in the best way possible. Jesus knew way more about Nathaniel than he could possibly imagine. So what's Nathaniel's response? Verse 49, Rabbi, Nathaniel replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. What's he do? He confesses, just like these other disciples, son of God, king of Israel, right here. It's, it's powerful how simple and quick his response to Jesus was. So what's now Jesus' response to Nathaniel? This closes out our passage, verse 50. Jesus responded to him, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. What'd Jesus say? Essentially, oh, you're impressed with the fig tree thing. 
boy, just wait. Buckle up. There is way more to come. And he, he points to something greater. And the, the greater thing is angels ascending and descending. It's likely a reference back actually to, to Genesis 28, 12. Jacob's vision where he sees angels ascending and descending on a, a ladder. And Jesus is saying, oh yeah, greater than that. I am the capital M mediator between heaven and earth. And because of the bloody cross, we can now reconcile between a holy God and broken sinners because of the person of Jesus Christ. Greater things are yet to come. I think essentially what Jesus is saying in this is, oh, you're impressed by the fig tree thing. Just wait till you read the rest of the book of John. These disciples, they were, they were taking their first steps into following Jesus, but there was so much more yet to come. So I want to talk, as we close here, about Nathaniel. Because what he did here was really important. He confesses that Jesus is Lord. That would have been a huge deal in Jewish circles. To say that's the son of God, the king of Israel, that's a big deal. They've been waiting for a Messiah. They've been waiting for their Lord to come, the king. And then he just drops it. He says, that's the guy. He confesses that Jesus is Lord. It's a big deal back then. I would argue it is a huge deal today as well. I think the most important question you need to answer while here on earth is who is Jesus? Your answer to that question changes everything about your life. John has been very clear. All we've done so far is chapter one, three sermons, 51 verses. But what have we seen in chapter one? What has John said about Jesus? He says that he is, the he is the word that became flesh and is God, verse 1 and verse 14. But then he also says that he is the Lamb of God in verse 29 and verse 36. Goes on to say the Messiah. He is the Messiah, verse 41. But then we see Nathanael have his interaction, son of God, king of Israel, verse 49. And then Jesus says of himself, I am the son of man, verse 51. We'll see this time and time again in John. It's a claim to deity. John's making it very clear. Jesus is God. This is the son of God. So my question this morning is, what do you do with that? I think, I think it's true. I think most people would say, atheist, agnostic, other religions, I, th I think it's true that most people would like give you the reality that Jesus was a person who came and lived on this earth. You know, they might say good teacher, whatever. Like, I think most people would say like, yeah, okay, he, there's records that he lived on this earth. So if that's true, if we're given that, C.S. Lewis would say, we've got three options to answer the question, who is Jesus? One, Jesus is a liar. That he knew he was not the son of God. He knew he wasn't God, but he told everyone he was. That Jesus is a liar. Second option, Jesus is a lunatic. He really thought he was God. He really thought he was the son of God, but he wasn't. He was just a lunatic. He was crazy. Third option. Jesus is Lord. That he is who he says he is. And he rose from that grave. Who is Jesus? What's your answer? I know there ha it has to be true that there are some of you here this morning that are wrestling with that question and maybe have been wrestling with that for a while and you've been skeptical. And I just want to say this morning from the front of the stage, that's okay. 
Nathaniel was skeptical too. First hears about Jesus and he goes, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good? He was also skeptical and had questions. If that's you, my encouragement to you is to stay with us through this book of John. Encounter Jesus for yourself and decide who is this Jesus? Nathaniel encountered Jesus and his answer was clear. He's Lord. He's the son of God. He's the king of Israel. He's the Messiah we've been waiting for. So quick summary of this, this whole passage. You got four men, four disciples. They all encounter Jesus. What happens? They confess him as Lord. They follow him, not only immediately, but for the rest of their lives. And they tell others about him. Just kind of like simply what happened. I want to ask the question, what happened to these disciples? This is, this is history. This is past. These disciples aren't here today. So what happened to the disciples? How did, how did their story end? How did their life end? Well, uh, you can just look this up. Go on Google, look up what happened to the disciples. Here's what I found. Nathaniel, also known as Bartholomew, as most would say, had widespread missionary travels attributed to him in India, back to Armenia, and also to Ethiopia and Southern Arabia. There are various accounts of how he met his death as a martyr of the gospel. Philip likely had a powerful ministry in Carthage and North Africa and then to Asia Minor, where he converted the wife of a Roman proconsul. In retaliation, the proconsul had Philip arrested and cruelly put to death. Andrew went on to preach in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey and in Greece, where he is said to have been crucified. Peter, martyred in Rome, 66 AD, during the persecution of Emperor Nero. Peter was crucified upside down at his request since he did not feel he was worthy to die in the same manner of his Lord. If you were to talk to these men, these disciples today, what would they say? I believe they would say, worth it. It was all worth it. Why? Because they had encountered Jesus and it changed everything. Think, think, about, think about their life and the experience they had. They, they got the initial calling from Jesus. They followed him, but then they watched him as he performed miracles, as he cast out demons, as he preached with authority, healed the sick, raised people from dead. This was their hero. But then they watched as their hero went to a cross and, and he died. Like, like they watched their hero die, done. All, all their hope was in this one guy. This was supposed to be the Messiah, Lord, Son of God, King of Israel. He's dead on a cross. What just happened? Those, those next three days were probably really dark and confusing for those disciples who couldn't quite put it all together, likely at that time. But then three days went by. And think about this. They watched as their hero defeated death. They, they watched Jesus come out of that grave and come to them again, encounters them again and says, follow me. 
Think about that experience. And you think about the lives of these men. To them, there was like, that's the only thing that made sense. There was no other alternative. Why? Because they had encountered Jesus. It changed everything about their life. And that's true for us this morning. If I can like put it all in one sentence. When you encounter Jesus, it should change everything about your life. If you are here this morning and you have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I pray that you would encounter them this morning, confess him as Lord and put your trust in him. Let today be the day of salvation. Answer that question, who is Jesus? But for those of you who have put your trust in Christ, who follow Jesus, remember you have, we have hidden ourselves in Christ. We say, Christian, my life is not my own. I follow Jesus. Wherever he calls me, my life is his. Christian, I'm telling you, and we know this, we can trust the Savior who hung on a cross for us. We should live our lives fully surrendered, following him wherever he calls. And I'm telling you, when that day comes, Christian, when we head to heaven and we meet Jesus, and he says, looks us in the eye and says, well done, good and faithful servant. For whoever has followed Jesus, I promise you, Christian, our response will be worth it. Jesus was absolutely worth it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we are grateful for the cross. We are grateful that while we were dead in our sins, you came and took away the sins of the world, that you are the lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice that went in our place. And the only, to me, logical conclusion would be, I'm in. Jesus, you saved me. I follow you the rest of my life. Out of your love for us, we respond in love for you. And that looks like following you, telling others about you, confessing you as Lord. I pray that that would be true of us as a church, Father. Jesus, you're better than anything this world has to offer. And so we follow you and nothing and no one else. We trust you. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.